Our New Testament reading this morning is from the first chapter of the book of Colossians, verses 15 through 28. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation, because all things were created by him, both in the heavens and on the earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible. Whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He existed before all things, and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the one who is first born from among the dead so that he might occupy the first place in everything. Because all of the fullness of God was pleased to live in him, and he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on earth or in the heavens. He brought peace through the blood of his cross. Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies with him in your minds, which was shown by your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you before God as a people who are holy, faultless, and without blame. But you need to remain well established and rooted in faith and not shift away from the hope given in the good news that you heard. This message has been preached throughout all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, became a servant of this good news. Now I'm happy to be suffering for you. I'm completing what is missing from Christ's suffering with my own body. I'm doing this for the sake of his body, which is the church. I became a servant of the church by God's commission, which was given to me for you in order to complete God's word. I'm completing it with a secret plan that has been hidden for ages and generations, but which now has been revealed to his holy people. God wanted to make the glorious riches of this secret plan known to all Gentiles, which is Christ living in you, the hope of glory. This is what we preach as we warn and teach every person with all wisdom so that we might present each one mature in Christ. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. I want to begin with a reading from the Sufi poet Rumi that was shared with me this week. A lover doesn't figure the odds. He figures he came clean from God as a gift without a reason. So he gives without cause or calculation or limit. A conventionally religious person behaves a certain way to achieve salvation. A lover gambles everything. The self, the circle around the zero. He or she cuts and throws it all away. This is beyond any religion. Lovers do not require from God any proof or any text, 
nor do they knock on a door to make sure this is the right street. They run and they run. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we come to you, long to come to you, not as religious people, but as lovers, listening for the word you are speaking to us within our souls, within our community, in the world, in the trees that we gaze on. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. You who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a sweet story that's told of a five-year-old big brother who asks to go and see his baby sister alone when she comes home from the hospital. And the parents are a little concerned about this request, so they stay just close enough to keep an eye on the brother and uh, to, to hear what he has to say. And he goes up to his little sister and says, tell me what God is like. I've forgotten. I don't know if it actually happened, but I like the story anyway. <laughs> Can you relate, though? These big questions that we are all asking, what is the nature of reality? Can God be trusted? What is God like? Our human experience of ups and downs, expectations and disappointments, pain and joy, we're trying to sift through it all and find what we can hold on to, what is solid. In a different space in scripture, the Apostle Paul, I think, is right when he says, we see through a glass darkly. So in today's text, reality comes out with a big capital R in what Don read earlier. It goes from big to small. And what the writer is saying is that what is most true within God on a big scale is what is most true within us. The mystery is this, Christ in you. Scholars think that the first part, the verses 15 to 20, this beautiful anthem-like text was actually a hymn in the early church. These declarative statements made about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And this is what theologians call the idea of the cosmic Christ, or the universal, the universal Christ. That what we see and experience in Jesus is not just the scope of a human life 2,000 years ago, but was the human manifestation of a larger reality that is the foundational reality of the universe. So when we look at Jesus, we see something that is true. And Paul is developing this big idea over his lifetime. That in Jesus we see something of a cosmic or a mystical dimension of the reality of the world and of the universe. It's important when you hear this text that, began, that it began saying, The sun is the image of the invisible God. The sun is the image of the invisible God. That was at the beginning of the reading. And at the end it says, 
This is the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This big idea, cosmic reality that lands within us and in our lives and in our souls and in our reality. So in answer to the big brother's question to his little sister, this is what God is like, is what the writer is saying. So I would be curious, and if we were all sitting in a circle, I'd love to ask you how you reacted to what Don read, what it did in you. Maybe you felt full of energy and life and like, yes, this is it. Maybe you were like, wow, I don't know, like those are some pretty big questions and some pretty absolute statements. I don't know if I can buy into that. And I imagine that there's about as many people in this room and listening online, there is a spectrum of how you were reacting to that. But when we have these big texts, these big declarative texts, I sometimes feel like I need to just step out a bit, kind of look at the camera and talk about how we might hold these big ultimate questions like the nature of reality. Because this is delicate in a place, in a territory, like here at 945 Portola Road. Many of you driving to church today drove by Slack, the National Accelerator Laboratory that's on the Stanford property just off Sand Hill Road, where they are experimenting with dark matter and astrophysics and the early universe. These are studies that I can barely even begin to get my mind around. And certainly the writer of Colossians would have had no idea about what's happening over at Slack. And yet, in the face of modern science and all that we've learned in the last 2,000 years, how do we take these grand sweeping biblical early church statements about the nature of reality, even when our most brilliant scientific minds are still discovering the most foundational elements of the universe. And it's not just science. Many in our world, and likely in this room, do not necessarily believe in one exclusive definition of God or reality. Many of us affirm that there are many ways that people have put together a life of faith and meaning, and many of those happen to have nothing to do with Jesus of Nazareth or the word Christ in any form. Or you may completely disagree with that statement and think there really is one definition of reality, and you're probably starting to get a little worried that the sermon is starting to sound a bit out of your comfort zone. So wherever you are, a solid skeptic or a definite doubter or an absolute believer, I just invite you in a moment to step away from those assumptions and step into paradox, holding these big questions. My children had the odd position of being in preschool and early elementary school when I was in seminary. <laughs> Just as they were asking all the why questions, why is the sky blue, and what is, you know, what is the nature of reality uh, from their perspective, just at that point, my assumptions about the nature of God, the authority of the Bible, and the exclusive understanding of Christianity were being reshaped. I struggled a lot with how to share the stories of scripture that had meant so much to me, the stories of the tradition and the Christian practices with them in a way that would allow them to stay open to faith 
and the power of the Christian story, but not get locked in what we heard from Rumi, that religious space, those dogmas that would shut them down about learning about the world and staying open to it. Now, I'm not sure that I was actually successful. <laughs> and in my defense, as Christianity has become more of a political position than a living faith in this country recently, it's difficult to see and hold the paradox of faith for so many of our kids. And I get that. But trying to do it for them helped me to do it for myself. And this is kind of how I've put it together. But since the beginning of consciousness, humans have been telling stories about the nature of reality. They look at what they observe, and they try to name what they experience, and they start to see patterns. And none, none of these named stories or paradigms or patterns can ever fully capture the nature of reality. Not when they come out of this ancient text, not when they come out of the Slack accelerator. We're always discovering, confirming, experimenting, trying, losing faith and finding it, and sometimes that is distressing. But mostly, I start to find it comforting. No one ever sees all of it. So I think that we can hold our faith and what we read in Scripture this morning to be universal without being absolute and embrace the particularity of Christ without being exclusive. Does that make sense? Instead, we can say this is a story about a God who was seen in a man named Jesus. And as a Christian, I'm with the writer of Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God. This is what the image of the invisible God looked like and Jesus expressed the nature of ultimate reality, which Paul calls Christ. It's a pattern, a pattern of unconditional love, community, connectedness, forgiveness, grace, radical hospitality, and freedom. So if this is the pattern, what does it mean? I've recently been reading a book by Adrian Marie Brown called Emergent Strategy, where she talks about the natural world as a model for how we operate in the world. Ferns, mushrooms, flowers, seasons, redwood trees, they help us understand the pattern of flourishing and growth. And for those of us that believe in God, the, the pattern that has been set up by this nature of divine reality. And she says this, existence is fractal. Fractal definition, an object whose parts at infinitely many levels of magnification appear geometrically similar to the whole. So fractals are, fractals are everywhere in nature. You can see them here in the ferns. And if you keep breaking down these ferns down to the smaller and smaller parts, you would find similar patterns from one level to the next. Fractals allow for patterns that also can contain some randomness. No two parts are exactly alike, but there is a pattern nonetheless. Adrienne Marie Brown continues, 
There are shapes and patterns fundamental to our universe. What we practice at the small scale can reverberate to the largest scale. This is how I understand this passage in Colossians. The writer is celebrating the pattern of the divine reality as we see it revealed in Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. And then the pattern that emerges out of that is a pattern of what he names as reconciliation. What is broken is put back together. We see wholeness, embrace, forgiveness. Reconciliation is what real love looks like in real life. And the writer says that just as this is the reality at the cosmic level, so it is to be the reality in how we gather as a church. It is to be the reality between groups of people who have been separated, like the Jews and the Gentiles at the time. And it is to be the reality in our souls and in our lives. This is the fractal pattern of what it means to affirm the God we see in Jesus Christ from the biggest view of reality we can take and understand to how we are together, to what happens within us, Christ in you. This is the mystery. So when we allow our lives to be aligned with this fractal reality of Christ, we connect with the flow of Christ in the world. And this is the source and the power of our lives. This is where the real change happens. So this text is not an invitation to a system of belief. It's an invitation to a way of being. Not to be a conventionally religious person, as Rumi said, but a lover. Where is the pattern of love showing up in your soul, in your relationships, in your workplace, in your world? Where are you working towards greater justice so that our world is a reflection of this kind of reconciliation? And where are you called today, this week, in intimate ways, in large ways, to move into greater alignment with that fractal pattern of who Christ is in the world? Richard Brewer has this very comforting statement that he says, what we seek is what we are. So the more we're seeking it, the more we're becoming it. And Grace Lee Boggs says, transform yourself to transform the world. The Christ pattern is where we come from and where we return. It is the source of our healing and growth and connection and meaning and what makes a difference in the world. It's something outside of us, greater than us, that acts on us, and it's something within us that we act from. It's what is most deeply true about us and the universe. So let us, again, open ourselves up to this reality. Turns out it's got many shapes, a cross, a circle, a redwood tree, but one of my favorites is a table. A table where we are all gathered and reconciled into the image of Christ. Amen.